when it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dan Snow's History Hits. I hope you enjoyed the podcast we had out recently. We had Saul David talking about Okinawa, the last great battle of the Second World War. He's always a great communicator, a great historian, and that is one heck of a story. Also, I found Douglas Gill's recent podcast on the emergence of Spanish influenza in the crowded camp of Etapla during the First World War. Fairly chilling. That was a fascinating episode, so it was great to have him on. So please go back and check those out. Also, of course, we had Johanna Katrin Friedrich's daughter talking about Viking Age women. We've got lots going on, and this is no exception. I love this conversation. This is with Dr. Catherine Harkup, but she has gone and studied all the ways in which people in Shakespeare plays die, and what that tells us about drama, what it tells us about Shakespeare, what it tells us about being alive and getting dead in the late 16th, early 17th century. And if you think about you know, Hollywood films today, most people die by getting shot, but that's not the case with Shakespeare. And I think the way people die in drama can tell you something interesting about society. So great fun. Have a listen. If you want to go and listen to all of these back episodes of the podcast, they're all available exclusively on History Hit TV. It's like Netflix for history. It's got audio, it's got video, it's got everything. Go and check it out, please. If you use code POD1, P-O-D-1, you will get a month for free and the first month for just one pound, euro or dollar. So please go and check that out. Lots of people joining up to get them through this lockdown. And I hope it's I hope it's proving diverting for people. I hope it's proving useful for young people who are not heading into schools and colleges at the moment. So thank you for all the feedback, everyone. And enjoy Dr. Catherine Harkup. Catherine, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. This is the best idea ever. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Can you exp- just explain for everyone what you wanted to do and how you wanted to show it? Well, originally it was a teacher who showed me a pie chart of all the ways to die in Shakespeare. And he sort of nudged me on the elbow and said, you should write a book about that. And I thought, you know what, maybe I should, because it sounds like great fun. When you look at all the different ways that he killed off his characters, it sounds morbid, but actually it's an awful lot of fun. But also it's presumably quite instructive because not many of them died from fridges falling on their heads, right? No. So what's it tell us? Do we, are they all meant to be like fantastical deaths or were the audience supposed to like engage like, oh yeah, I know what that's like, you know, you got stabbed or... I think it's a mixture because some of his plays, obviously he was depicting historical events, so he had some token gesture to historical accuracy. I'm not sure how accurate he was, not very. I think his only criteria was really to entertain people. So there are some spectacular 
deaths that occur, or some ones that seem silly to us now, but were probably more credible 400 years ago, because he was writing for an audience 400 years ago. And seeing a bear appear on stage would have been more plausible back then than it would be today. So what might seem ridiculous now possibly wasn't back then. Okay, so let's run through some of the ones that we feel could give us an insight into what life was like in late 15th, 16th century England. Like shipwreck, there must have been a lot of shipwrecks, were there? There must have been a lot of shipwrecks, yep, I think that's credible. Um, Mercutio being stabbed in a sword fight. I think there was probably an awful lot of sword fights in the day. Everyone was quite angry, probably quite stressed 400 years ago, and all men were armed. So posh, so, posh way of saying knife crime. Yeah, basically. Sword, the knife fighting. crime of the day, yeah. yes. So yeah, I think that's believable. So young men in particular stabbed mm -hmm. each other a lot, from all social, presumably from lots of different social groups. I mean, uh, Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it was one particular class or group within the capital. I think it was everyone carried a knife, pretty much, or some sort of object that could be used as a weapon. So when you are upset, it's quite obvious to take it outside. And the consequence was, unfortunately, quite a few people died that way. And in Shakespeare, do you, have you divided, I mean, what is the way most people die in Shakespeare? It's at the end of a sharp weapon, basically. Oh, really? okay. It is mostly stabbing or slain in battle. Okay. Most of the history plays quite a few of the tragedies. Or There's Cassius stabs himself at the yes, end of Caesar. Or Caesar falls on his sword. Yes. Um, so does Mark Antony. Yeah, Caesar was stabbed 33 times yes. by, his cons by the conspirators. But yeah, there's lots of people falling on swords and lots of people having swords deliberately thrust into them. I suppose it makes for good entertainment on the stage. And it's kind of realistic for the period. Definitely. Yeah. I think sword fights were very popular, not just kind of street fights, but actually there were displays of fencing and sword fights in the theatre when plays weren't on. So actually your audience was looking at this almost professionally to see the quality of the fights between the actors. It wouldn't have been, I think, quite so hammy as some productions could be where you wave a wooden sword at each other and hope for the best. These were very skilled at what they did. What about the gunpowder age? Gunpowder's creeping into Europe in the kind of 15th century. Are we seeing, are we seeing people shot? There were a few, okay. but mostly the sort of handguns were very, very early stages and they were possibly as dangerous to the person firing them as to the recipient of the bullet. So it was mostly cannons and the destruction that cannon could okay. cause. So a few cannonballs? Yeah, a few cannonballs knocking off bits of masonry that fall on people okay. and things like that. Okay, well of course famously the cannon was what set off the fire that burnt down Shakespeare's Globe as well. Yes, absolutely, so very relevant to him. So drowning in shipwrecks though? Yes. That must have been very common. It know. must have been very common and unfortunately drowning, um, intentional drowning, was uh, oh, okay. quite a common method really? of suicide at the time. Apparently the most common method for women at the time. So you'd hurl yourself into a... Yeah, you throw yourself river. into a river and hope that people would see it as an accident so that you would get appropriate burial rights because suicides, obviously, suicide was a crime. So that's what's remarkable sh about Shakespeare is how he treats people who commit self-murder because at the time it was a crime, you would, your family would lose all of the money that would normally be inherited by them, you would be disgraced, you wouldn't get a proper burial. But actually I think Shakespeare is more sympathetic to people like Ophelia and Arthur in King John. So I think he's more modern attitude to that than perhaps his contemporaries. And there's a lot of falling on your sword when the alternative is just... Yeah, there is no alternative for, for some people. And drinking poison, which I 
I can't recommend at all. You can't recommend it because it's, no, no, it kills it's, you? Or it, it will kill you, which is a bad thing. Right. And it will hurt and it will take so time. So both, okay, on both. Just don't. Yeah, well, there's so much poison in Shakespeare. How much of that is... Because poison's a funny one, isn't it? Because we, there's so much poison in the t tales of the first century AD Roman Empire. Like, is it almost a narrative device? Or do you think poison was a big part of people's lives in the sort of pre-modern world? I think it possibly was, because in terms of, like, murder and intrigue, poison has always been there's always been something about it because it's quite devious and surreptitious and back in Shakespeare's day there was absolutely no way of testing for these poisons certainly not effectively so you could essentially get away with it unless you were seen adding the poison to dinner or whatever it was so I think it was probably quite a common method for some people to commit murder. You know, the, the kind of Roman emperors and their wives who were bumping each other off with atropine and God knows what else. So I think it was possibly more common than we might suspect. The trouble is also it's unprovable, isn't it? It's like witchcraft. Like, yeah. oh, they died of poison. Someone like Germanicus, exactly. you know, who's the, the, you know, the imperial favourite who died. Like this, you can imagine, or, or like Henry Fitzroy, Henry VIII's son, illegitimate son, like people, presumably, the poisoner gets the credit sometimes when in fact it's just good old you know, microbes. And yeah, absolutely. So it works both ways in that a deliberate poisoner might be able to get away with it, but also someone who died of something completely accidental, someone could get the blame for it. Yeah, I'm sure there were a lot of... Because in your other life, you're a chemist, you yes. overachiever. <laughs> so is, it, so poison, is the poison the stuff that you're particularly drawn to? In yeah, no. that's the, the more... In, well, it's all interesting but it's what initially got me interested in this kind of work. What kind of common poisons were being used? And if you use them, did, is there not a symptom like, oh my gosh, your tongue's gone black, or like, you must have been poisoned? Yes, there are symptoms. So quite commonly, cyanide would have been used because it was quite easily extracted from plants that were growing readily. So cherry water is always a clue to a good poisoning. What's cherry water? Oh, there was a murder case around the 16th century and someone used cherry water and they'd extracted cyanide from cherry pits and given it to someone. So cyanide, it kills you very quickly. There's twitching, convulsions, not very nice. Arsenic, lots of vomiting. It looks an awful lot like cholera or gastroenteritis, so people could blame it on okay. natural causes. So every poison has some characteristic and modern scientists can extract poisons from bodies, they can test them, they can identify them, but 400 years ago, not a chance. So how many poisons, uh, we got lots of poisoning in Shakespeare, do we? There's quite a few. There's less than I thought there would be. There's some very suspicious ones as well. Old Hamlet with the poison in the ear. And if you're going to poison someone, the ear seems a really odd place. Does it work? I, I would think it was unlikely. I think Old Hamlet was very, very unlucky that it killed him because it's just not a very practical place to try and poison someone. It seems a very odd choice. But some other poisons do, they do work. Uh, remind me how they're portrayed in Shakespeare's poison. Is it like seen as underhand and sort of feminine, or like the way Livia allegedly would kill people in the Roman Empire, or, or is it seen as wise and clever? No, I think it's definitely in the devious and underhand category. People like Claudius uh, yeah, is poisoning like everyone, and he's, he's not the good guy in that story. So it's definitely a devious thing to be doing. And then pulling eyes out seems to be quite a thing, um, but that's recoverable. <laughs> yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. absolutely. It's, that's in King Lear, isn't King it? King Lear, yeah, his yeah, son-in-law. He survives having his eyes gouged out, he's tortured, he's tricked into believing he fell off a cliff, and what finally kills him is his reunion with his long-lost son. Oh, there you go. So, yeah, the sort of, what about deaths of broken heart and being forlorn and all that sort of stuff? Is that... 
that's credible. It is credible. Yeah, I, I wasn't too sure when I went into it, but there are certain symptoms that obviously in the Lear story, he's been through it a bit, so he's probably quite yes. stressed. And if he had a pre-existing heart condition, maybe that was the final thing for him. But there's a thing called broken heart syndrome, and it's a, a genuine medical condition. And it is moments of extreme stress. The heart can deform so that or it deforms when it starts to pump blood so it can't pump blood very effectively most people recover from that certainly today I don't know what your chances would be in Shakespeare's era because basic medical care was pretty bad so Lady Montague just falling over because she's bereaved is credible yes and people dying of sort of Sad, you know, sadness and turning their heads to the wall and all that. We, yeah, you know, um, Enobarbus just dying allegedly of shame because he went over to the other side and abandoned Antony. On stage, you have Enobarbus give this very passionate speech and he just drops dead. But actually, Shakespeare wasn't kind of making stuff up, making a dramatic end for this guy. This is apparently what happened. He just dropped dead. And at the time, people said it was from shame. And maybe it was the stress of realising he'd done something terribly, terribly wrong and betraying Antony. So, so we're, we're saying that there's a, there's a, obviously a physiological, it's, it's probably what, uh, pressure on the heart or... I don't think they actually know the detailed physical cause of things like broken heart syndrome, but certainly emotional stress. We all know that stressful situations can cause a physical effect. You know, fans seeing their idol on stage or on the street and they faint from you know, just excitement. So if you take that to an absolute extreme, you can see how it could have a serious effect. So do you, do you think this is, again, coming back to that first point, but is this all just sort of tragic, you know, people dropping down all over the place? Or do you think people in late 16th century urban environments would just be used to kind of people fitting and dropping dead all over the place? You know, is the, is the, is the, the what sort of level of public health and, our, and, and people's exposure to it different to our world? I, th I think it would be very different. I think it would be unusual for anyone in late 16th century to have not seen a dead body up close and personal because most end-of-life care was done at home. Friends and families visited and reassured the person who was dying. They were there to care for them in their last moments. Today, most people die in a hospital and it's professionalised and a lot of the detail is screened off from us because... I don't know, we're being protected from something maybe. But I think actually at the time when you knew that was how your end was likely to be, surrounded by friends and family, that would have been reassuring because you, you saw the level of care that others received. So actually death was a pretty ordinary part of life, I think. Much more, well, I say that, I think it's just very different today. We talk about I... death all the time but in a very different way. We see car accidents, we talk about viruses spreading across the globe, but we don't see the bodies. It's all sanitised, we see numbers. I was deep into my 20s before I actually knew anyone intimate who had died and saw a dead body, deep into my 20s. Mm. I, I think it's quite a strange thing that we have today, in, especially in the West, that we're not exposed to that because in the vast majority of cases, it's, not, it's distressing because you're losing someone you love, but actually the process of dying, it's just a slowing down and a slow shutting down of the body. And it's something that you could, you could reassure the person who's dying and you also gain that reassurance for yourself. There would be, as, as well as domestic, presumably there'd be public, I mean, I'm just thinking suddenly about you know, when Queen Elizabeth 
long, bless her memory, let her whole crews that had, had fought against the Spanish Armada basically starve to death the following winter by yeah. laying them all off and not paying them. And you, there were accounts of like around the dockyards there'd just be people, sailors starving and begging Absolutely. and dying on the streets. So Huge shortages of food, especially in the capital. There was executions. Death was everywhere. And you can imagine why these people, going back to an earlier conversation, why people were stressed <laughs> and why they might be suddenly roused to anger when they're short of food, they feel sick, they see people being strung up from the gallows. It, it must have been quite a stressful time to live. What's the most unusual death in Shakespeare? Torn apart by the mob. Oh yeah. That's quite weird. Who know, who is that? Sinner the poet oh, in Julius Caesar. Okay, Caesar. Julius Caesar, yeah. They get the wrong sinner. Okay. You don't actually see it you on stage. You don't see it, do you? Yeah, you talk, no, you're told about it. Because okay. I think actually if you start, I mean, you could fake all of that. You could make fake limbs and stuff and <laughs> strewn a lot of blood around. But actually it just becomes farcical and yeah. you don't want your audience to laugh at that point. True, I would be laughing <laughs> at that point. Okay, so other totally bizarre death. Let's have, like, I'm trying to think. There's a struck by lightning. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's, it's in Pericles, which isn't often staged. Does anybody die from cancer? No. Isn't it funny? If you think about modern drama, yeah. I guess it's heart attacks, cancer, and Absolutely. then gunshot wounds, maybe, yes. if we're trying to be all but dramatic. Virtually none of that. Very strange. And there's a few natural causes, not many. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Catherine of Aragon. I've never watched Henry VIII at all. Uh, uh, yeah, she gets very sad ending as her life is slowly ebbing away, and her eyesight's failing, and she's struggling to get out her last wishes. It's all very sad. But yeah, that's quite rare. And as far as I can work out, there's only one character in the entire canon that dies in a hospital. Ooh, <laughs> who's that? It's Nell. So it's one of the gang from Falstaff's pub where he hangs out. Wow. So it's good old Nell. Yeah, good old Nell. Well, not I really. I say good old Nell. No, it's probably uh, not a great no, place to go. Probably died of well, she did die of syphilis in a hospital. Right, not pleasant. Poor old Nell. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well that is amazing. The book is called. Death by Shakespeare. <laughs> Everyone go and buy it, everyone, it's brilliant. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Just before you go, bit of a favour to ask. I totally understand if you don't want to become a subscriber or pay me any cash money, makes sense. But if you could just do me a favour, it's for free. Go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. If you give it a five-star rating and give it an absolutely glowing review, purge yourself, give it a glowing review. I'd really appreciate that. It's tough world out there, law of the jungle out there, and uh, I need all the fire support I can get. So that will boost it up the charts. It's so tiresome, but if you could do it, I'd be very, very grateful. Thank you. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. 
if you dare. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dan Snow's History. Please follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and you'll be doing us a big favour. Don't forget you can also listen to all of these podcasts ad-free and watch hundreds of TV documentaries when you subscribe at historyhit.com slash subscribe as a special gift. You can also get your first three months for just £1 a month when you use code DANSNOW at checkout.